Have you ever tried to open a door that was closed? Okay. Now, I'm not talking about a physical door. I'm talking about a door that God has shut. And there's times in our life where we have tried to force open doors that God has shut. There's times where we've pushed and pushed on the door only there's times where I've seen God take his hand off and that door open. And we call that God's will when the door finally opens. What was your reaction once the door opened? Did you enjoy what you saw on the other side? Most likely not. I want you to think about in your life where you have begged and pleaded with God to open a door to cause something to happen in your life that he never allowed to happen. Garth Brooks has written a song called Unanswered Prayers. There's a lot of, I don't know how much scriptural truth behind it, but there's a lot of truth where you think, God, I'm thankful that you did not answer that. Tonight, we're going to look at a story of somebody who tried to and did forced open a door that was never designed to be opened. The last time we, we looked and we looked at a very powerful passage of grief, dealing with grief and David's steps, the five steps that David um, did to, to deal with the grief of his son and what he did. And so we know that he took Bathsheba to be his wife and she bears another son that God loved and it showed the miraculous uh, grace and mercy despite his sin that God doesn't throw us away. God doesn't is not done with us because we've, we've failed. That God allows us, he picks us back up and what he makes us again, Jeremiah 17. And he, and he makes a son named Solomon. Well, despite the, um, the sin is forgiven according to Psalms 51, but the consequences of the sin that David said it's fourfold. And the first one was that the baby would die. But the second one is what we're going to read about tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at a very gross story in the scriptures, but it's a very powerful truth of what happens in David's family and how David responded to it. Second Samuel chapter 13. Second Samuel chapter 13. As you're turning there, I will say this, that uh, I'm... I have all the notes from previous services uh, in one binder out there, and there's two or three uh, pages per per lesson. So if you miss a week or you're out of service and you want it, you can just go in that binder and uh, just go through that and you'll find um, the missing um, pages. In verses 13, verse 1, chapter 2 Samuel 13, 1. Now, it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, was in love with her. Now we have Absalom, we have siblings here. We have Absalom, we have Tamar, and Amnon. Absalom and Tamar are, are biological brothers and sisters, and Amnon is, is a half-brother, okay, with one of David's other wives. But no matter what, they're still related by blood, these siblings, Absalom, Amnon, and Tamar, they're all brothers and sisters. 
Now, they, um, the Bible says that he was in love with her. It's sickening to even, there's a different word here. In, in John 3.16, for God so what? Love the world. Does anybody know what that word love is in the Greek? It is agape. That's right. It's agape. It's the self-sacrificing type of love that I don't expect anything in return. It's not if you do this for me, I'll do this for you type thing. Agape is the, the purest form of love that there is. In fact, it's really interesting. Did you know the word agape was not even a word until the Greek translated it into this. It was not even, it had not even been translated to agape until we see in the Greek translation. But there's also different, other different forms of the word love. In this particular word, in the Hebrew, it's ahab. It's ahab. We find this same word in, second, in, in, in Song of Solomon when it says, Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the young women win, will love you. It's, a, it's an eros is a type of love. Eros or erotic is where we get our word erotic love. Eros. We would never say, well, I eros you, right? That would be a downgrading type. I lust after you. It's nothing but a sensual that I, I see for you, that I want you lustfully. People get the word love confused all the time, and it's worse, an erotic. They, they say, well, no, it's agape. And so this is an eros, an erotic type love. It's a sensual love. As Amnon is lusting after his sister and he had done it for some time now. We see his heart through this story. Verse 2, but Amnon was frustrated on account of his sister Tamar that he had himself ill. For she was a virgin and it seemed too difficult for Amnon to do anything to her. Now this is a very important passage because he said he was a frustrated the word frustrated means he is bound up. It's somebody that has tied you up and you can't move. But this is a sexual frustration because he says, I can't. He made himself ill. He made himself sick to his stomach. I think all of us have been here in the situation where we've tried to force a door open or we tried to walk through a situation or tried to want something so bad that we physically made ourselves ill because it's constantly going through our mind. We want this, we want this, we want this, we want this, and we think about it and think about it and think about it. We, we make ourselves sick. All the different ways that we can get it. And so here he's sexually frustrated and he's made himself sick to his stomach. Now, the Bible says that she was a virgin. This is a really big deal. See, they took virginity very serious because if you were not a virgin, then you were not to be married. And whoever you lost your virginity to, then that's who you married. So if, if the belief today, if who you lose your virginity to, if that's who you married, then I think people would take this a little more serious, would they not? Now, it's interesting. What makes a person married? Well, one of them is you got to look at it's a commitment before God to one another. The second thing it is a is, is a sexual intercourse. But the third thing, it's a it's a it's obeying the laws of the state. Romans 13. So there's really three things all in one. But she was a virgin and in which she was not married. But if I do this, 
then I'm going to take away the chance of her being married. You see the seriousness of all this situation now? And he said, it's too difficult to do anything to her. Remember, they're in the kingdom. They're always being watched. They're servants all, all around. I cannot get her alone long enough to be able to make my move on her, is what he's saying. Verse 3, but Amnon had a friend. We're going to use that word real, real, real lightly. Whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea. And David's brother, Jonadab, was very clever man. Here's, here's Amnon. It wasn't a friend. It was a, it was a first cousin. David and his brother, David's brother was, uh, had a son, Jonadab, and David's son, Amnon, they were first cousins. And they hung out together. And so the Bible says that he was a clever man, meaning he was cunning. He was tricky. He was prudent. He was crafty. Which, all, by the way, all of this starts chain, chain of events. Jonadab is is going to be held as responsible as Amnon in this story, is how he directed him, verse 4. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. So he looks at him and he says, Why are you the king's son? Now, why is that important? Because I want you to understand Amnon, Tamar, Absalom, they all had their own house. They were the sons and daughters of the king. They had what they wanted as far as wealth, as far as prestige. He said, you are the king's son. What in the world is making you so depressed? He said, I walk in here on a daily basis and you're laying around and you're droopy. And you said, I see your countenance. Now, I'm going to stop right here. If you remember the two stories ago, wanting something that you're not supposed to have was being passed down from father to son, was it not? You remember David took Bathsheba and it was something that he was not supposed to have. And now we have a similar story passed down to his son wanting something that he was not supposed to have. But then he has the gall. To admit it. What's wrong with you? I'm in love. With my sister. Jonadab should have said. Huh? Could you say that again? I'm in love. With my sister. It Remember. The same word. It's an eros. It's an erotic. It's as lustful. I am lusting after my sister. And this is how this conversation began. If Jonadab would have been a true friend, a real family member, he should have said, look, we're going to get you some help. But Jonadab being crafty and tricky and cunning, he comes up with this very, very evil plan. Verse five, Jonadab said, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, you say to him, please have my sister Tamar come and give me food to eat and have her prepare the food in my sight so that I might see it and eat from her hand. He comes up with this crafty plan. You know what's sad about this and sick? Jonadab doesn't miss a beat. He said, all right, all right, sit down, ready? I got a plan. I can work it out where you can finally get what you want. He said, I want you to pretend to be ill. Now, now, 
Amnon's listening, okay? And he said, I want you to send for Tamar so that you can get her alone. They're working out this plan, this sinful plan together. Verse six. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see her, Amnon, see him, Amnon said to the king, please have my sister Tamar come and make me a couple pastries in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. And so here we go. We start this whole lie. He's, he's pretending to be ill. He's pretending to be sick. If we have to pretend something, then all of a sudden, or we have to hide it, it's a lie, right? If we have to hide it or we have to pretend, we all of a sudden know that's wrong. He starts pushing on a door that's not supposed to open. And then he says, have her make pastries in my sight. Now, this is where his sick mind has gone for several years now. He's wanting to admit this out loud. Have her make pastries in my sight. You know what I thought about on Tamar's part? I thought about the innocence of this girl the whole time. There is only one thing for Tamar in this whole story. She loses and she loses big. It just reveals the actions about him. How much he had been lusting after her and how her being in front of him is going to fuel this fire that he has. Verse 7. So David sent a messenger to the house of Tamar saying, go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Now, what, what? David didn't ask. He didn't say, Amnon, you got all these servants right here in your, in your house that I built for you and all these servants are serving you. Why can't any of these servants make pastries for you? Why do you need your sister to leave her house and come and do this? Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. And you're going to see this and you're going to get a little bit different light on David tonight that you're not going to be able to forget for a very long time. You know, we have parents that you, as a parent, you, you, you try not to indulge your children, right? You do your best not to indulge. You want them to have things maybe that you did not have or something like that, but you really don't want to indulge them in everything they want because they grow up being entitled and all that. But one of David's weaknesses was not only women, but he has a weakness of giving his children what they wanted. You're going to see this several times that David was oversensitive about being there for his children and doing whatever it took to make sure they had all their needs. And yes, they became very entitled. And so in agreeing to send Tamar was, okay, okay, son. Okay, whatever you want, son. Now, I thought about this because later in the story, you're going to see my point. David didn't catch on. You know, if David had been so disconnected, he had been worried about Bathsheba and he worried about all this, that he did not see the relationship of Amnon and Tamar. He did not see Amnon's action. You can always be around somebody. You can watch their eyes, can't you, to see what they're thinking and what they're doing and what they're looking at. And it's not just one particular thing, it's over and over and over. I mean, David could have just been around Amnon for a while when him and Tamar were in a room together and he could have watched Amnon and watched how he looked at Tamar. But he didn't, he wasn't there. And so he says, I need you to prepare food. I need you to go do this for your brother. Tamar, completely innocent, innocent. in verse eight, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying in the bed and she took dough and kneaded it and made pastries in his sight and baked the pastries. Now, this is where it gets really sick. I, I think about 
Tamar, I mean, Amnon taking advantage of his sister and her innocence, her kindness to him. Yes, daddy, I'll go do whatever. There's part of me, and I don't know this to be true, but there's part of me that Tamar had to know that Amnon was a little off, that there was something wrong with him towards her. Maybe she was reluctant. Maybe she was like, I know how he looks at me. I know how he's looked at me for years. Okay. Dad, will there be other people in the room? Will there be other people in the house? Maybe she asked him that. Go make them for your brother. But then it said, do it in his sight. Now, why in the world would Tamar ask for, for uh, Amnon asked Tamar to make these pastries in his sight as she rolled out that dough, watching her in the kitchen. All it's doing is fueling the lust. The nastiness that was going on in this man's mind at this particular time, he's watching her create this pastry and she is completely innocent, talking to him and he's doing nothing but the erotic eros Ahab, lust is building in his heart. And he's watching her. We have all seen movies with stalkers in it. Some of you women have been at Walmart and you think, something's not right. You look around and you see somebody staring at you and you're like, you start getting away. I'll never forget, um, my wife, we we don't go to the mall We'd, early in our marriage and she had a, uh, she called me. She's like, look, I got to run into JCPenney because it was always, if you go to the mall, I'll be with you because that place is crazy. It was crazy then, it's crazier now. She's like, I'm going to show up at 10 when they open. I'm walking right to JCPenney where I need it. I'm going to walk out. She said, I got to a particular thing. I picked it up and she looked up and there was a man standing in front of her watching her. And she said, I did what I thought I should do. And she said, I went to the women's apparel. She said, because I knew then if I went to the women's apparel and he was there, then I knew I was in trouble. Sure enough, she went to the women's apparel and guess who was standing there watching it? Same person. I said, what'd you do? She said, I threw down my product. I took off running out the door. I said, you ran out. And so just like that stalker was watching her here, a brother is stalking her and watching her and lusting after her. Verse 9, then she took the tray and served them to him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, have everyone leave. So everyone left. So now the lie continues, right? It gets deeper. Now he's already built this up in his mind. How can I keep pushing this door that's supposed to be closed? I'm going to keep kicking it open. And he said, have everybody leave. So you know what he's doing? All you servants, all of a sudden he felt better, right? Get out. Get out of my kitchen. Get out of my house. I need everybody to leave. Only Tamar. And then he says something to her. He said, hey, can you bring my food to me in the bedroom? Verse 10, that I may eat it from your hand. So Tamar took the pastries and made them and brought them to the bedroom for her brother. This is the plan that he had worked out. This is what lust and this is what desire and opening a door that you're not supposed to open. This is where it led him. He had it all planned out, this evil plan. This, he conceived this sin in his mind. Now, they go into the bedroom. 
It's amazing that Amnon should have been pursuing the women that should have only been for him, just like David should have only pursued the wives that had already been for him, just like David was pursuing Bathsheba. Now his own son is pursuing the sister. Verse 11, when she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come sleep with me, my sister. Now I want you to think about these guys. These wasn't weak men. They were trained warriors. You know, they didn't eat to enjoy food. They ate to survive. And I can just see Tamar, if she had this pastry, whatever it was, and she was reaching it over to serve him, he grabs her arm. And when he grabs her arm, she knew everything was a lie. And you can hear, I mean, just like that, the wheel started turning. From the very beginning to this point, she knew she was in trouble. And he grabs a hold of her arm and then he says, sleep with me. The lust has brought him to a point in his life where he didn't mind being verbal. He had told his first cousin about it. Now he announces it to his sister. And this is why he said this. He wanted to hear, I want to sleep with you too. Oh, Tame, oh, Amnon, I love you and I've loved you since we were little kids. That's what he wanted to hear. Now, look, he was still trying to get this approval. And this is what she says No, no, my brother. No, my brother. No, my brother. No, my brother. You know, you can hear it. No, my brother. No, my brother. Do not violate me. Do not violate me. Do not violate me. For this is not even approved in all of Israel. Do not disgrace me with this sin. You see, it wasn't until after the flood where God cut any of this off, right? Well, we know Adam and Eve, they had siblings and it was okay at that point. There was nothing that God had, had uh, said it was not okay to um, uh, reproduce the earth. But after the flood, that was it, right? She's begging him, do not violate me. The word violate means this. Please don't make me bow down to you. Don't make me bow down to you. Don't make me bow down to you. Please don't make me bow down to you. What she was talking about was you are so strong. There's no possible way that I'll be able to fight you off. I'm, I've already lost. You're the one that's in control. Don't violate me. Now, there's a lot of sins that all sin is disgraceful. Graceful. There's not one that's above another. But the sin of rape, when that young lady comes in my office or older lady, whichever it was, and I've had several, sadly, and they tell me about how they were raped. You know, I have to go through a series of questions and talk to them about what occurred before I call the police and, you know, handle all that, write everything down. But inside, once I come, because there's been people that have testified they've been raped and it wasn't, it was consensual. And they're trying to get that person in trouble and it's a, that's a whole nother story. But when it's truly rape, inside, I can go ahead and tell you that I am burning. There is nothing more that night than I want to see that man under the jail. And I can't wait for him to be there. If there's any sin, I think, you know, having a daughter, for those who have daughters, you think 
There's nothing that more violating than rape. In fact, the Bible talks about that any sexual sin is not different, but emotionally, because it occurs from the inside emotionally, that it, it, it does something. And they've done studies on this where young men and young women, the more they have sex, the more they deaden themselves to affection and to love. And she said, don't do this disgraceful thing. What is she? The word disgraceful there is don't do this immoral thing. Don't do this profane thing. Don't do this vile thing. She is not making little of this. She is not making light of this. She is not Bathsheba where she didn't fight against it. She is 100% saying this is sin. This is wrong. Everybody in Israel knows it's wrong. She's begging, begging, begging. Don't make me bow down to you because Amnon, you're stronger than me, and I cannot fight you off. Listen to how she's begging and pleading. She's trying, she's kept her composure to, she's begging, but keeping her composure to say, please don't do this to me. Verse 13, as for me, where could I get rid of my shame? And as for you, you'll be like one of the fools in Israel. Now then, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Wow. And she says, where would I get rid of my shame? And this is very sad um, portion right here. You know what she's saying? If you do this to me, I'll never marry. Because nobody is going to marry somebody who is not a virgin that's never been married. But I'm definitely not going to have anybody marry me who was raped by their own brother. Please. You're shaming me. And then she said, and you will be as one of the fools in Israel. You'll be mocked. You'll be looked down upon. And she said, if you do this to me, where will I go? She said, I'll have to leave Jerusalem and you're pushing me out of the family. She's pleading. She's trying to talk sense into her, into him. Now look at what he says in his nasty mind. He's kicking that door open. He's saying, I tell you what, go speak to daddy. And if you just talk to daddy, he'll say it's okay. If you'll just go speak to dad, he'll approve of it. Do you think he really believed this? 100%. I think he believed it in his mind at that time. It didn't make it any truer. Would David have approved of this? Absolutely not. But he had convinced himself that this was okay. I can walk through this door. In fact, I can get the approval of others. I'll never forget Charles Stanley talking several years ago. And he says, oftentimes in my counseling ministry, he said, I have people walk in and say something and try to do something that goes against God's word. And they'll say, isn't this okay? And he'll go, No. Yeah, but, no. But, but, no. Or do you, if you think if you got my approval, it's okay? He said, God says it's not okay. He said, whichever way I say, he said, but no. He says, if you'll get dad's approval, he'll say it's okay. This is how much this lust has totally disturbed his mind. Verse 14. However, he would not listen to her since she was, he was stronger he violated her and slept with her. So no matter the pleading, and I want to say this, that 
I can't imagine if you closed your eyes and thought of her screaming, no, 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 how a traumatic experience this was. Any rape. But as she's trying to push him away, as she, but he is so strong. There's no other option. She knew she was going to have to bow down. She wasn't giving in. She just couldn't fight him off. And then the terrible, deplorable sin happened that he raped her. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with their great hatred. Indeed, the hatred with he hated her was greater than the love which he had for her previously. And Amnon said to her, get up and go away. Wow. So let me tell you the results of trying to open a door that God shuts. And eventually when that door opens and you're not supposed to walk through it, you'll regret it. That's what it is. But not only this, the Bible says that he hated her. It revealed that it was not love at all. It was nothing but an eros. It was nothing but a lust. It was something that he wanted for himself. And as soon as he got what he wanted, he was done. Don't this happen in relationships? Well, I've I taught this to the teenagers over and over and over again. I'll say, look, just because somebody's asking and begging and pleading, as soon as they get what they want, they walk away. They're done with you. And then it says he hated her. This is the result of what Amnon thought he actually wanted. And immediately that lust turned to a hate. He despised her is what the word means. He went from, I want you, I want you, I want to, to get out of my sight. Get up. Get out of here. Now, think about that. Think about the innocence of Tamar. Think about how she begged him, just begged him, don't do this. And then it's get out of my sight. Now, look at what happened here. Verse 16. But she said to him, no, because this is wrong. You're sending me away is greater than, than the other. If you've done this to me. Yet he still wouldn't listen. Now, what does she say here? She's like, wait a minute. Sending me away is as worse, is, is as bad. Now, what is it talking about here? The Bible doesn't handle the results of raping your sister or a sibling, okay? But it does handle rape in Exodus and Deuteronomy, a virgin out of wedlock. If, if a man raped a woman out of wedlock, then he had two options that he had to go to her father and pay the bride price. You know, there's a price just, we talked about, we've talked about that over and over. If you've been to one of the wedding ceremonies I've done, there's a price you had to pay for the bride. Same situation with Christ giving his life for us. We're the bride he paid, you know, paid. So if that man raped a, a woman out on the street, he had to go pay. And it was a very, very expensive price. And not only this, he was to marry her and under no circumstance was he ever allowed to divorce her, no matter what. So that one rape would have cost him a very, very expensive, uh, all the money and, and animals that he would have to pay. And he had to marry her and never was allowed to put her away, even with a bill of divorcement. Now, the Bible that I cannot find handles raping a sibling. Obviously, the law was against it. God's law was against it. But it was going to expose her. This is why she was like, don't do this. Don't send me out of this house. 
Then this is what he does. He's, he's so deplored by her. He's so sickening by her looking at her when she's done nothing wrong. Verse 17. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Wow. He starts screaming, servant, servant, servants, get in here. And so one comes in. I, I have to wonder, did anybody hear her screaming? Did not one person in that house not hear her screaming? Nobody went and tried to help this woman. You see that today, don't you? You've seen people where they've showed video footage of, well, of a woman being beat or a man or two people fighting and people just walk right past them. Don't help them. I don't understand that concept. I just wonder if one of these servants didn't hear and he turned his ear to it. I hope he heard that scream the rest of his life. He said, throw this woman out because he hated her so much. I can't even stand for you to be in my sight, a reminder of his sin. And not only that, lock the door, force her to be in the street. Now, this is a very big deal because he knew that she was not walking out there by herself. And if they lock, if they closed the door, she was coming back in because of what she's getting ready to do. Now, she had a long sleeve garment on. And for this is how the virgin daughters of the king dressed in the robes. Then he attended the attendant took her out and locked the doors behind her. All right. Now, I want to explain something. I think the, the, the Hebrew says that she had, like, like uh, Joseph's coat, she had a coat of many colors. She had a garment of many colors. What this showed, that she was royalty. She was the daughter of royalty, daughter of the king. So when she walked down the road, road, road everybody did not just recognize her as Tamar. They recognized her as royalty. And if you were a virgin that day, what separated you, that you had long sleeves on. Okay, they dressed themselves in a way people saw them. It, it, you were recognizable. Now, verse 19, Tamar took ashes, put them on her head, tore the long sleeve garment, which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went her way crying as she went. Now, don't you see this poor girl? Soon as she stepped on the stoop and they locked that door and she heard that lock locking behind her. She didn't hide. She didn't hide what had happened to her. You know, it's very common in, in this day and time where you, you have to try to get people, say it, say it, tell it. She didn't hide it. She took her sleeve and she ripped that, that robe of many colors and she ripped that sleeve off and she took this sleeve and she ripped that sleeve off and she took the ashes and she put upon her head and she was bawling and she walks out into the middle of the street in Jerusalem, the daughter of the king. Now, that day and age, if you see Tamar and you see her sleeves were ripped and you see ashes upon her head and crying, you all of a sudden say, when did Tamar get married? Or when did Tamar get raped? She didn't try to conceal it. She didn't try to hide it. She was broken. She is walking down the street and everybody's pointing at the king's daughter going. She walked into Amnon's house, a virgin. And walked out. Did you see Tamar? Did you see Tamar? Did you see Tamar? It's public. So everyone saw her, knew that she'd been violated. Do you... 
You remember the story 1694 in Massachusetts, the Scarlet Letter, right? Scarlet Letter. Is that an actual thing? That was actual law. I actually looked up the law, 1694. And it required convicted adulterers to wear a A or a different color fabric on their garment for the rest of their lives so that everybody knew that they were an adulterer. That was in law. You can look it up. 1694, Massachusetts. When she tore that sleeve, it was equivalent to her putting an R or a non-virgin or whatever you want to call it on herself saying, I am not married and I'm not a virgin. What she's saying, I am off the market for marriage. I want you to understand as she's walking back to Absalom's house right now, she knows that nobody's ever going to marry her and she'll never have children and this is her life. She is broken. Verse 20, Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained isolated in her brother Absalom's house. Immediately, this is what strikes me. Immediately when Absalom saw, he said, did Amnon rape you? Rape you? He knew the second from the sleeves, from her actions. But you know what else? I think he knew that Amnon lusted after his sister long before the situation. He already knew it. He knew that she had been called to the house. He had seen all the previous signs of what his heart was after Tamar. But this is what he says. Shh, be quiet. Don't say anything. Hmm. Now we can look at this one or two ways. We can look at this as don't tell anything because you'll disgrace the family name. Or don't say anything because I'll handle it. And then it says, Tamar remained isolated. Let me show you what opening a door that wasn't supposed to be his door to walk through and all that. Do you want to know where Tamar died? In Absalom's house, locked away for the rest of her life because of her shame. This innocent young lady, excited about the one day of meeting a man, losing her virginity to her husband, is now childless, no marriage, shunned, put away in Absalom's house for the rest of her life and dies there an old lady. Two more verses. Now, when King David heard about these matters, he became very angry. You go get them, King. So, but I want to, this is when I told you, you you're going to look at David differently. Why was he angry? I don't know, because it was going to be public knowledge. When she entered into the street, now everybody knows the secret. David's weakness was women. Amnon's weakness was his sister. But you know what we know? Am David never punishes Amnon. 
You can just think about what you would do to your child if he had raped another one of your children. David doesn't touch him. David doesn't do a thing to him. That's it. End of story. Between David and Amnon. He got mad at him. David had a weakness. He had women as a weakness and he had his children as his, as his weakness. And they ran over David and he let them do as they pleased. Absalom is a different story. Absalom was a hard case. Verse 22 and we're done. Absalom did not speak with Amnon, either good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. He said he didn't speak to him. He didn't say, hey, how you doing? Or I hope you have a bad day. He didn't say a word to him. The Bible says that they did not speak for two years and he hated him. He hated him. From the day that his sister walked in that house and every day he had to care for his sister and saw her broken and crying day after day after day, it fueled that hatred in Absalom's heart of the way he felt for his brother Amnon. And Wednesday night, we're going to conclude the part two of this chapter. Father, we pray that we look at this passage right here and there's times where we have tried to open doors that were meant to be closed Nothing as rape or incest, but Lord, there's other things. We've tried to force ourselves into positions such as jobs or relationships that we're never supposed to be in part of. And God, I pray that if a door doesn't open, that we back away from it and know that it's your will and get away from those situations. We pray that you would bring the story to reminder when these doors don't open and we see that you, you have a purpose and a plan for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Don't forget, this is your last opportunity to sign up for the um, uh, hot dogs. I just need a final count. If you'll sign up in the foyer, that would be a help to us. So next week, we will, next Sunday night, we will be in the gym, 5 o'clock. And then uh, about 5.45, 6 o'clock, we'll have the movie greater. All right? God bless you. Good night.